Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. We are in the first week of college football. Games are in two days. We're recording this Wednesday night. This is probably going to post Thursday morning. Hawaii is en route to UMass. Uh... You know, Colorado State sold out their first home game. Um, We're basically just counting the hours at this point until uh, Oregon State kicks us off. We are in week 0.5, and I have something for y'all. Just wait for it, if my computer wants to cooperate. Yeah. (laughs) We're getting close. All right, that's enough of that. I'll put the actual like YouTube you video in the in the in the article, but that is something that we will bump every game day. Every single game day, I would like you to know that that as of this afternoon has a hundred and forty <laughs> plays in my iTunes. That seems excessive. That is nope. It's just the right amount. I I will actually... I'll. I'll I will always remember in like the heyday of the no fly zone when we had that instrumental playing during warmups and it was TJ Ward and like five other dudes before the USC game just at midfield chirping so hard. Oh man, takes me back. And we're only, I guess, nine days away now. Can't wait. Yeah, from duck kickoff, and we got actual games this weekend, and we have the Mayweather McGregor fight. So big, big sports weekend, and then, and then real football kicks off the big week one. So yeah, right now we're like we're we're like in week zero point five. It's not quite week one, but it'll do. I'm waiting for the first team to be like mid August. We're going. It'll be Michigan. It would be Michigan in, in like Beijing. <laughs> you know, if there's a game on the if if it was possible to have a game on the North Pole, Harbaugh would have it there. I mean, he's just trying to expand the Big Blues fan base. What if he did a rumble in the jungle and took a team to Zaire? <laughs> or they did a thrill in Manila and just went back to. The, <laughs> to Manoa. The only reason that it's so funny is because it's so possible. <laughs> if he's listening, he's like, you know what? That might not be a bad idea. He, he is a weird he, person. This could really work, guy. <laughs> he is a he is a <laughs> really weird person. I remember he was doing an interview and he was talking about how he spent an hour in like a 7-Eleven parking lot watching someone direct traffic because they were just so excellent at it. And he loves watching people be excellent at what they do. Just because they were so good at it? Yeah. 
So that's just. Did you see that their athletic department is also a crazy amount of money in debt? Yeah, I mean, I mean, be almost honest, every most school. Yeah, they are two hundred and forty million dollars in debt. Could be worse. They could be Cal. They could be Cal, which is just. I don't. I don't know if they're. You could even say they're two hundred forty million in debt, but that interest is going to be yes. Okay, so if you don't know, Cal football, Cal athletic department screwed for like the next eighty years at a minimum, probably ninety years. Like I literally have no idea yeah, what they're they, going to do. I think so. For those, yeah, for those of you that don't know, they made the decision to make a four hundred million dollar renovation to Memorial Stadium. Uh, which, by the way, it rests on a fault line, which is not ideal placement. Um, <laughs> yeah, but it's so historic. It's not. It's not like they can just like toss it. Well, and the, and where are they going to go in Berkeley? Anyway, exactly. so they made this decision. Um, but they they basically need to pay, I think it's sixteen million dollars a year for the next ten to twelve years, and that's just on the interest. Then it's once they start pay, paying off the principal, when they start paying off the principal in like 2026, then it goes up to $26 million a year. So they're seriously considering um, cutting sports, which is not going to go over well. Right, because that's how you lose a ton of donors. Yeah. Uh, but this is an Oregon podcast, so we should probably talk about Oregon football no. and not how much cluster Cal Athletics. But that's also indirectly talking about Oregon. But right. I digest. It a- um, so we're going to talk about the Oregon lineup, basically how we're seeing the depth chart shake out. Uh, not going into super detail because we have no idea how everything's painting out. We're basically just going off of uh, fake news, Rob Mosley's practice reports. So... <laughs> Um, which I think are very insightful. No, they are. It's saying. like I think they're very insightful. Like That's first right. thing, like Street first, media. yeah. So first thing, what we can do is we can talk with the quarterbacks because obviously Herbert's top dog, and uh, he's very yeah, disappointing. We're- it's very disappointing because he's not throwing more touchdowns than incompletions, which is what Mariota was able to do. And that he's not at that level is really bothersome to me. Although, I will say to his credit, uh, according, again, to fake news, Rob Mosley, um, he had like three of his incompletions in the scrimmage on Tuesday that, that were drops. So... Basically, what we're trying to say is it's time to panic about the wide receivers. Yes. Yes, it is. Um, one thing of note that I th- – one thing that was interesting to me reading the practice reports is that Taylor Alley and Braxton Burmeister are basically splitting reps at the number two spot. Yeah, I'm not really sure what to make of that. Um, Burmeister looked great in the spring. And in the spring, I mean, Allie was basically relegated to wide receiver duty. Yeah, he was um, wide receiver. 
I think it's probably more, you know, if I had to guess, I think it's probably more a situation where they're seeing if Allie could be serviceable so that they could possibly redshirt Burmeister. Um, but who knows? You know, it's, it's hard to tell, especially with all of the transfers that happened in the spring. Um, we, we certainly don't have a whole ton of depth there, but I mean, if, if you get to the second quarterback, uh, that's a problem anyway for any team. Yeah. Unless you're maybe out. Right. And part of me too does wonder, because one thing that is, one thing about Taylor Alley is that he is sneaky fast. Like every once in a while on a practice report, or we even saw it a couple games two years ago when he and Lockheed were basically splitting time um, while Vernon Adams was out. But he has the wheels to break off long runs. And in an offense... Yeah, and in an offense like uh, Taggart's where Quentin Flowers can just go off and just do a ton of running by himself. And basically they just do play-action bombs constantly. I think you can get away with that. Especially because it seems like we're we're, we're going to get to this eventually, but they're going to lean so heavily on the offensive line and running backs to do pretty much all the work. So yeah, because I think in a perfect scenario, Tara Alley is serviceable because uh, then Braxton Burmeister can redshirt. We get two years of separation between him and Herbert, um, and then. We can just have new guys come in because right now we're in a tricky spot with really only two quarterbacks, solid quarterbacks in the program, and one of them was in high school uh, this time last year. I, I am very excited to see Herbert this year, though. Um, I mean, it's at this point, it's pretty much a cliche, but uh, you see the most growth between year one and year two, and, you know, <clears throat> Herbert doesn't even really have one year under his belt. He basically has a half a season as a starter under his belt. Um, but in that time span, he what? He tied or set the record for touchdowns in a game. I mean, he was throwing the ball over the, all over the place. He looked settled and in command, especially towards the end of the season. Um, and apparently he's, you know, he's bulked up. He's got a command of the offense. Um, now that year one to year two jump may take a little bit more time just because he's learning a new system. Um, but at least it's a relatively similar system. It's not a situation where, you know, we went from spread, uh, uh, run, run pass formation. option. So like, yeah, exactly. We're running I formation pro style Stanford offense. Yeah. I don't know. If anything, I think this will be easier on the quarterback because Taggart's going to lean so I'm heavily excited. on the run. Um, and the thing that the thing that I think will really help Herbert is the fact that uh, grand scheme of things, our offensive line is going to projects to be very good. So yeah. you know he he really should have plenty of time to. Uh, to make decisions and and throw the ball around in the pocket. Yeah, and the, the one thing that is going to be kind of a re- real test for Herbert 
is seeing how much he's going to be able to take, how many players he's going to be able to take out of the box. Um, because last year, Royce Freeman was really hampered by injuries. Um, but teams were stacking the box whenever he was in. Just playing cover zero, just letting their DBs play man-to-man against our receivers and basically daring Herbert to make some really tough passes. So, and it's, is he going to be able to do that this year with our receivers? I think that's the next the next thing is if he can start fitting balls into like tighter windows um, and making more precise passes. What do you think the toughest game on the schedule for Herbert is? Like him going against the secondary, Washington. Yeah, that's. I mean, realistically, that's probably uh, true of just about almost every position group. I would say that, if Washington was earlier in the year, then I might lean towards Stanford because they're a little bit more experienced on the back end. Yeah. Um, well, I think I think I take that back. I think Stanford. I think Stanford has the better secondary, but I think Washington has the better defense on the whole. That's fair, and I, what I was going to say is, I, you know, I, I if Washington was earlier in the year, then I think he could take advantage of their secondary, um, you know, as they try and fit into new, new roles. But with the UW being, game being the third game from the end of this regular season, by that point, if things are going well at Washington, their secondary has figured it out, uh, and if not, then we're just going to enjoy their implosion yes yeah I think it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how he progresses I think Nebraska is going to be a really good barometer for how things are going that's going to be a really good barometer so and I know we're we're going to get to that Um, mainly because I I think that's I think for the Nebraska game, um, I, I, I just agree with you about the Nebraska game just because I think that there's certainly going to be opportunities there to make plays. Um, but it's a good early season test. I mean, it's not a cupcake. Right. All right, let's go ahead and move on to running back. Obviously, Royce Freeman is the guy. Allegedly, him and Bo Scarborough weigh the same. I'm out. Really? Yes. He must be very dense because Bo Scarborough looks much larger. Yeah, Bo Scarborough is 6'2", 236, which seems light to me. And Royce Freeman is 5'11", 238. Allegedly. Okay, Royce. Allegedly. Well... Scarborough seems that seems lower than what he should be, and Royce Freeman that seems higher than what he should be. But, but like all things, the truth will bear itself out at the NFL Combine. Like they always do. I could be wrong, but I I feel like I remember in um, in practice reports earlier in the in the fall camp. uh, Didn't didn't fake news Rob talk about Royce dropping weight? 
Yeah. Yeah. Or am he I talked about him. No, he talked about him and Kanai Benoit. Yeah, I remember. I remember the Kanai Benoit one, considering Taggart was calling him chubby, but which is or a little ridiculous. He was definitely not chubby last year. You know, I I know that the projected depth chart right now is Royce, then Tony Brooks, James, then Kanai Benoit. Um, I honestly almost expect Benoit by the end of the season to be more of an impact player than Tony Brooks James. Not necessarily um, in overall stats, because I think TBJ is a much more explosive player, but I think Kenai is going to have... He's primed for a really good season because he's drop weight. He's still big enough where he can basically come in and be like Royce Freeman light. Um, And he come up in, in the great runs against Arizona State two years ago. He had a big run against Nebraska last year. Uh, he's kind of the guy that I'm looking in this running back group this season that I think is going to make, make a leap. Oh, I totally think he's going to be – I think he. this is going to be his breakout season. Because um, according to the roster, he weighs – he's six foot, 201 pounds – he looks bigger than that when he's running. Um, but he is sneaky fast. Because, like, like you said, like in the spring game, he had a like an 86-yard run against Arizona State a couple years ago. He pulled away from guys in the secondary. He had that big fourth-and-four conversion against Nebraska where he weaved through everybody. Um, and he initiates contact in a way that Tony Brooks James does not. And I think with the downhill approach that Cristobal and Taggart are taking and moving away from the an outside zone um, that really benefited Brooks James last year. I think Kenai Benoit is going to be the number two guy, and he's really going to be spelling Royce a lot. He's definitely he doesn't definitely is not as he doesn't have as many dimensions as Royce because Royce can run routes. We've seen him run routes in the past before, uh, and we haven't seen that out of Kenai Benoit, and it probably is just that he's a workhorse running back that just carries the rock. Um, but I think he's going to have just a huge year because of how well he runs and the blocking style, um, that the like the blocking techniques that we're going to be using this year. How many times do you think we see three running back sets with all three of them in the game at the same time? Probably at least five. I think that sounds about right. I mean, I there's just uh, Taggart and this whole staff has been very clear um, that they want to get the best players on the field. Uh-huh. Um, and I think certain, most of that will come in rotations and getting guys in and out and making sure that, you know, Freeman is fresh. Um, but I think there's a, we're going to see a fair amount of three running back sets um, and definitely two running back sets because they're just so versatile, especially a guy like Royce that, like you said, he could catch passes. He's a good blocker. He's got shifty feet. Um, you know, same thing with Tony Brooks James. You can motion him out in the flat, no problem. Um, 
Yeah. I'm, this is going to be the workhorse of the offense. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and I think Tony Brookshames is going to be doing a lot of a lot of motioning. Um, like those formations, I don't know the technical term, but basically where uh, like you may have Benoit and Brooks James on different sides of the quarterback, and then Brooks James passes behind the quarterback, motioning out, like directly behind the quarterback sideways, which messes with the defense's keys and how they're basically uh, covering certain players. Um, and I think that's how we're going to yeah, see Brooks James used a lot. Perfect. Basically... Yeah, like basically the pitch guy um, in a lot of sense, like the second option where it's like, okay, you can stop Benoit and Freeman and really try and banking on keeping them in check, but then you're also going to have to deal with Brooks James on the outside. Obviously, if a defense has really solid pursuit and is fundamental and disciplined, then you know that kind of strategy doesn't work as well, but that's what I'm guessing the idea is going to be. And I think even though Todd Griffin is like a wide receiver now, I think we're going to see him a ton on jet sweeps. Like jet sweeps are a huge part of what Taggart did at South Florida, um, which is sweeping guys across. And I mean, that's what we saw a lot from Taj last year was just like we would clear out the entire side of one field, be in an unbalanced set, and then motion him across, which is something that Taggart did at USF, which is unbalanced formation, motion a wide receiver across on a jet sweep. Well, that's not only did Taggart do that at USF, but I think that a lot of college football is going towards that way as well. Yeah. Um, I was just watching two weeks ago. I rewatched the national championship game from last year. And um, I was watching the coaches film room version and they were talking about how much these guys were doing jet sweeps. I mean, I, I think in the first four series of that game two each for Clemson and Bama they must have done a motion that was similar to a jet sweep at least two to three times per drive um, and, and what that does like you were saying uh, it just messes with the defense's keys especially because so many defenses are going to play nickel as a base defense it it kind of messes with the nickel cornerback as Okay, if you're starting out on one side of the formation, now what do you do? Like a linebacker has to basically pick up your guy if you're in man-to-man or you have to switch to zone. So um, I, I think you're right. I think we're going to see a lot of interesting pre-snap motions, not just from the running backs, but also from the slot guys like Taj and Charles Nelson. And that's a good segue into the wide receiver group. Yeah, yeah. A huge part of Tiger's offense is power running, but with a lot of misdirection beforehand, keeping basically causing the defense to take a second longer than normal to react to anything. Um, I think that's going to be especially important because the wide receiver position is such a big question mark. Oh, yeah. So I think it's going to be Freeman, Benoit, Brooks James, and then guys like Derek, uh, Sirius Habibi Likio are guys that I'm seeing a ton. Those are probably going to be like very situational players, probably in the really lopsided games. Um, but at receiver, I feel like this is probably the most fluid part of the depth chart based off of practice reports. I agree. I think at this point, um, 
you know, I, I don't necessarily read too much into a particular day on the practice report well, I as to what the starting lineup would be. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but I kind of look for more overall trends um, because I think at this point the coaches are still looking like, okay, does this guy deserve run with the ones? We want to get him in with Herbert so we can see their timing, that type of stuff. Um, but there have definitely been some standouts in the practice reports. Johnny Johnson keeps getting mentioned over and over and over again. The last couple um, of weeks, especially. Yeah, I mean, it seems like he's a kid that will, is ready to come in, a big body receiver that can be a possession receiver, where on the other end, if you start with him and you have Dylan Mitchell on the other side, Dylan Mitchell's really your big play guy. I mean, it, he had a 70-yard reception in the second scrimmage. Uh, and it seems like uh, Brendan Schooler, after transitioning over to receiver from safety, he's he's making some noise. I mean, I think he was running with the ones today, uh, Wednesday's practice report. So that's that's pretty impressive. I mean, he definitely played and showed that he's a good athlete last year. Um, now we'll see if he can be a good route runner and has decent hands. Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. I'm surprised at how quickly he's picking it up, for sure. Um, sounds like Charles Nelson is really like the cornerstone player that's locked to be in that starting lineup. And as you said, like, Dylan Mitchell is getting a lot of reps. Johnny Johnson's coming on strong. Darian McNeil looked really good in the spring. Um, I mean, it's going to be... I think it's safe to say that there are... we're not going to be playing guys who suck. But That's a good start. Which is an improvement. I don't think anybody's just going to get blocked at the line of... Or is just going to get locked up at the line of scrimmage like we had against LSU. Um, and we may not have any studs that are coming out right now because as good as Charles Nelson is, he's going to be used. He's being used in jet sweeps. He's probably also getting used as like some in some standard running plays. Um, but there's really well, the offense has really been missing. I think pretty much forever um, is like a Mike Wallace type of athlete. Or like a Mike Evans, who's six three, and can just get jump balls. Because that's the guys that are just nearly impossible to guard. Rusty Ryan throwing shade at Dwayne Stanford. Big box Stanford. Well, he was not. No, but he I, did not I, take I, I over told, games. He didn't take over games though. No, I, I, to, I totally see what you're saying, and I agree. Um, I, the way that I see this unit of wide receivers for this year, at least as it stands right now, um, you know, who, who knows? Maybe one of these guys who's a sophomore or like a freshman like Johnny Johnson, maybe they make a really big leap then, and they become an X factor. Uh-huh. Um, but the way that I see this unit performing is we don't have that one go-to guy but we have depth upon depth upon depth. I mean, I at this point, I'd feel pr- pretty comfortable with six guys being out there. And that would be Charles Nelson, Dylan Mitchell, Johnny Johnson, based on the practice report, 
Roberts, um, Darian McNeil, Malik Lovett, who had a lot of uh, mentions early in fall camp, but he's kind of seemed to fall off the practice reports recently. Yeah. And then uh, uh, I'm skipping one. Alex Alex O. I mean, if he can stay healthy, yeah, he he showed glimpses last year and then during the spring game as well, uh, uh, spring game two years ago, of potentially being an impact receiver. He's kind of, again, that big body possession receiver. Um, I don't think this unit is going to blow anybody away. It's certainly not like we've had in past years where we had – Braylon Addison and Josh Huff and Darren Carrington and so on and so forth. Um, but I think this unit has a lot of depth and I think it has a lot of potential to grow as the season moves on. So I'm actually, yes. I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing how this unit develops because there's talent there. It's just a matter of who's going to step up and be a guy that makes plays. Yeah. I think, what was most exciting about Malik Lovett, especially in the spring, was is that he was the like, the fat. He's the fastest guy on that team, allegedly. And having a guy that can basically take the top off the defense would be a huge help for Herbert and some of the other receivers. I was actually, I was, uh, I was on Twitter the other day. I was on, I was on in the Twitter sphere. And it was like Chris Brown. Yeah, it was like Chris Brown. Um, and there was like another guy, I think Bill Barnwell, who were talking about like especially Clemson cycled through a ton of receivers last year. But basically any backup receiver that went out was just running flag routes, just running it as fast and as far down the field as they could because that basically tires out the defensive backs who have to keep chasing them. So part of me wonders how much of that we're going to be saying. At the same time, though, Clemson last year had Mike Wallace, who was that go-to guy. So, um, you know, I think with Taggart's system, you're not necessarily going to see that on every play. But with his reliance on the running game, we're definitely going to have the opportunities to – set up some really large play action bombs uh, which could turn the tide yeah yeah I 100% agree alright so next moving on moving on to tight ends Um, like you said with like the three running back formations I think we're going to see a ton a ton of two tight end formations because even though even though that limits basically our speedsters on the field and the defense can get into like a base 3-4, 4-3, having two tight ends really helps the running game. Um, and I think Jacob Reland was a guy that was kind of buried on the depth chart last year behind three really good tight ends. But even spring, pretty much in every practice report he gets mentioned, um, Cam McCormick, Matt Mariota, I think, got moved over from linebacker to tight end. And then Ryan Bay is someone who I think's also gotten a couple mentioned, but I think outside of Jacob Breland, a lot of those guys are just going to be blocking tight ends. 
I would agree. Um, I, I think Breland is – going into fall camp, I don't think anybody really knew what to make of this unit. Um, with I mean, with the graduation of our three tight ends from last year, um, there was a lot of opportunity for playing time for not just one guy but multiple guys. But based on the practice reports, I think that Breland has really separated himself. And then after that, I think it's kind of a dead heat between McCormick and Bay. Um, I think that Bay is probably slightly ahead just Mm -hmm. in terms of how much I think that he's been getting mentioned. Um, But I think Breland is the clear number one, at least in terms of pass catching. Absolutely. And then... We'll, we'll probably see a decent amount of two two tight end sets anyway. So, you know, that's just another situation where you can motion a guy over, you know, pre-snap and start some misdirection, which just helps out the, the run-pass option game. I wonder if we're going to see six linemen formation, six linemen in formation this year. I would hazard a guess that the we probably will at some point but it'll really just be like goal line or you know fourth and one short distance situations i i remember watching some some taggart tape from usf and you know i off the top of my head i don't really remember them doing that many six linemen formations um, but maybe I'm just misremembering. Yeah. Um, offensive line. So, offensive I think we have a really big group. Um, I do too. Well, this you know, team I, got put through the ringer last year because at one point we had like five underclassmen starting. Uh, when Tyrell Crosby went, went yep. down in the Nebraska game. Um, and they took a lot of lumps. Um, but they got a lot of experience against some really good teams. Um, and then I saw, too, that the average weight on the offensive line went from 290 to 310 this year. Big dogs got to eat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, I mean, I, I'm really excited this unit B- based on how much experience they got last year, and these are all, with the exception of Tyrell Crosby, and I guess also Jake Prasarchik. Those two are seniors, but every but basically everybody else are sophomores. Um, yeah. The unit as a whole. So the the projected starters right now are. Tyrell Crosby, Shane Lemieux, Jake Hansen, Jake Pisarchet, and Calvin Throckmorton. Yeah. Uh, right now, three of those five are sophomores. Crosby and Pisarchet are seniors. And then in the backups, Brady Ayello is a sophomore, Charlie Langraff is a sophomore, and Jacob Capra is a freshman. And there are only two more seniors in that whole group. Yeah. So that's what a did you say, really good mix. Uh, Brenner is a senior. Okay. Yeah. Because based off of Rob Mosley's report, yeah, he has it. 
Crosby, Lemieux, Hansen. How do you say his name? Pisarchik? Pisarchik. Pisarchik and Throckmorton sound like the starting five. And Cristobal said that he has faith in like eight guys but wants ten. And according to Mosley, he thinks those other three are Brenner, Bowler, and Aello. I mean, I'm, I'm. This is certainly going to be a group, um, just like in the past. Maybe not quite as much, where there's going to be guys coming in and out and rotating. Um, yeah. Especially as the season goes on and guys get get banged up. Um, the fact that these guys had so much experience last year when they were young, it, it can only help. I mean, it, you hear that a lot on de- the defensive side of the ball where if you have like a lot of freshmen and sophomores in the secondary that the next year they're probably going to be really good. It's the same way with this offensive line because at this point now they've played together for an entire year. They know exactly what everybody's trying to do. Crosby will come back and he's been huge his entire career for the Ducks. Yeah. I mean his but it was his second start when he played against Michigan State at Alton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's there's really a ton more to say uh, about this group other than just going hand-in-hand hand with what we talked about with the running back crew. Uh, the, those guys are going to be the center of the offense, and they're really going to dictate whether this offense is just good. Like, I mean, e- even in a down year last year, our offense was – good to very good depending on the game oh yeah but they're going to determine what whether this team is good offensively or really elite offensively yeah and we see it in the big 10 and the sec and like in clemson that in order to be a championship team you have to have dominant lines on both offense and defense. And with Oregon in the past being able to use like the speed and agility in the outside zones, that was a way for them to offset like their lack of size. But there's only so much kind of disguising that you can do of like having 285, 290-pound linemen when you're going up against defensive linemen that weigh 310 pounds and can run. And I think this is pretty much kind of adapting to that because, like, all the guys that are committed for next year weigh over 320 pounds, and they're, like, 17. That's so ridiculous. There's, like, two guys that weigh 350 pounds. (laughs) Like, I don't don't understand how there's 17-year-olds that are that big. Chick-fil-A. Chick-fil-A. All right. What do we think about the uh, what do we think about, about the defense? The defensive line is very interesting. Um, there's really not a lot known. Uh, we have Jordan Scott. I think who's my favorite. I think player you could pretty team. much. I think you could pretty much pencil in Henry Mondu to be a starter, um, just based on he. I mean, he's a senior and he's been a standout 
pretty much since he was a freshman. Yeah. Um, which is few are between on our defensive line the last couple of years. Defensive tackle. Hard to say whether it's going to be one of our favorite players, Jordan Scott or Scott Pagano. You know, I, I would give the edge to Pagano because he's more experienced. He, I mean, he's just won a championship um, and he was a, a solid backup on that Clemson team. Um, but he, he has been out for a decent amount of time with a foot injury. So at least based on practice reports, it kind of feels like this job is more leaning towards Scott rather than Pagano. Now, it's obviously, it's going to be a rotation, so they're both going to play. Uh, but that's just my sense from the practice reports. Yeah, I mean, I don't even know like, how much time is Pagano going to even have before he plays, you know, because it sounds like he's been a walking boot this whole time. I know players had to earn their single digits, and he already got his number five. And it's like, he must have been killing it on the sidelines because he hasn't even been playing, and he earns a single-digit number. Um but maybe that was a uh, maybe that was a criteria f- for him to transfer. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, I do love big guys with small numbers. Yeah, it's it's great. Our favorite like, is uh, Lewis Nix the third, who is number Lewis one the and wore like yep. soccer cleats when he played. <laughs> he was like three hundred thirty pounds I, and wore like the wide receiver cleats. Another one was Eric Armstead, but I think Armstead, like, he had the body to pull it off. He was, like, long and lanky. It's so much better when it's a nose tackle. Yeah, someone who... This is, is basically... Like, yeah. It's, it's like, reason number 8002 why college football is better than the NFL. Because a nose tackle is not two in the NFL. Um... So what do we think about the the end spots? I think we we agree that Mondu is probably the starter on one of them. Yeah. And that kind of leads on the other end, um, Jalen Jelks, who has shown some real flashes over the last couple of years. He had a really good game against USC, what, two years ago at Autzen? Yeah. Um, uh, Austin Fallu who is a freshman, has been making noise in practice reports. And he was I think a DT it's probably, out of high school. He got moved to defensive end. Yeah. And he's, let's see, how big is he? He's like 280 pounds. Uh, yeah, while you're looking Austin. that up, I think. Yeah, he's 6'3", 289 is what he's listed at. Perfect, man. Long that's team. A, that's fine. That's that's a pretty big defensive end. Well, I mean, for for the college game, I guess. Um, I still think even for pros in a three four, two eighty nine is probably the limit for a defensive end. Yeah, but uh, but I think with the defensive line, they're basically. The coaching staff is just putting the three best linemen on the field within a reason. Like, Scott's not going to play end. Um, but I think we could see Pagano play end a little bit. Um, I think Gary Baker is someone who's going to take reps for Jordan Scott because as much of a monster 
that Jordan Scott is. He's still like 18 years old, and even though he's 330 pounds, he's still an 18-year-old that's going to be going against 21, 22, and 23-year-olds. And there's a huge difference between six months of strength and conditioning and three years of strength and conditioning. And so I think he's a pretty prime case of the second half freshman slump, which even Royce Freeman had his freshman year. If I had to guess some of the other linemen to really get in the rotation and get solid minutes, um, I agree on Gary Baker. He He's probably a prime candidate. Elijah George would be another one who's yep. you know yep. over his career at, at Oregon. He's bounced back and forth between D-line and O-line. Um, I think he'll probably end up um, getting a decent amount of playing time. And then another name that I think we might end up seeing that we kind of saw near the end of last year um, was Drayton Carlberg. Um, mm. He played last year. I think we might we might see some some of him. And he's kind of like one of those guys who is the long, lanky defensive end type. I mean, he's he's like six five, ninety ish. Those are my guys. Um, I love those guys. I'm not a big fan the of like Brandon the Brandon Bears of the world. Yeah, I'm not a fan of these six one, three hundred and fifty pound guys. I like my DeForest Buckners. My bear Brandon oh. Bears who are like six eight three hundred. Just give me a bunch of basketball players. Yeah, basically. What I wouldn't would give to see Jordan Bell play defensive end one time. Oh my god. Yeah. Yeah. Although it would almost be more fun to see him at uh at safety. A la Taylor Mays. But with better hips. Well, better hip yeah. movement. <laughs> Taylor Mays, who's phenomenal if uh, every play was a straight line. He's phenomenal at walking off the bus. <laughs> yeah. Um, what, what do we think about backers? This is a position that's very, very fluid. Because um, there is the, uh, there is the duck position, which is your safety linebacker hybrid. Um, and it sounds like that's done by Jonah... Moy? Is that how you say it? Jonah Moy? Yeah. Jonah Moy has been really more, at least uh, based on kind of my interpretation of the the outside practice reports, it seems like he's kind of been more of like an outside linebacker. Yeah. Um, Whereas I think the duck position, you know, in the spring game, it was split between Fotu Layatu and Lamar Winston. Um, Yeah. I think maybe you see Moy get into that position, but he's kind of, I don't know if he's necessarily as mobile as you would want in that sort of like duck hybrid linebacker. Oh no, you're right. right. I was misreading this. Um, If I had to guess, I think probably Leatu and Lamar Winston are the main ones there. 
Um, but then another... I'm trying to find another guy that we that has been talked about. Maybe it was Justin Hollins, who I know he's been mentioned in the practice reports, but it seems like he's kind of like that long, lanky type, you know, hybrid nickel type guy that might be able to be more impactful on um, in that duck position than like a traditional outside linebacker area. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, the, what causes me concern is Kalana Apelu in that middle linebacker spot. Because he weighs just over 200 pounds. Yeah, he... Our safety is definitely... way more than that. He's definitely undersized um, for a middle linebacker position, um, which makes me think that he might kind of split time between that and the duck. And then rather than him like starting at a middle linebacker, it might lean more towards an AJ Hodgkins or a Jimmy Swain, like something like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, Troy Dye obviously is starting at middle linebacker. Yeah. It seems like Jonah Moy is probably starting at the other outside linebacker spot. And then really it's, it's a competition between, you know, a couple guys for the other starting inside and the other starting outside, which I don't really have a good read on that from, from practice reports. I don't, yeah. I don't know what. what yeah. Linebacker and receiver are definitely the toughest to follow. So, I mean, that's just going to be constantly rotating. It's like Troy Dye is like the Charles Nelson of this unit. Like, he's locked in. Everybody else is kind of a, we're not sure how they're going to be used or anything like that. Yeah. All right. I mean, well, I, I don't know if, how much more insight we can put on that. So let's uh, let's go on to everybody's favorite group. None. The secondary. The secondary. Uh, Arian Springs is going to be a starter. Yep. Thomas Graham and, and Ugo. I'm really excited to see Arian Springs bounce back from his last year because he was a guy that I thought had a lot of potential in his first two years on campus. And, you know, it's no secret that he had a disappointing year last year, but I think he has the tools to be a really good quarterback. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, he has the athleticism. Um, at times, I think he was maybe it was like a mental part of his play, um, but also just having just terrible defensive strategies going into games. Like I don't feel like he's the person that you want to start with him like ten yards off the line of scrimmage. Exactly, in, in my opinion, he's kind of more uh, now. Obviously, he's not as good, but he's like a more Richard Sherman type guy, where. He, from what I've seen, he's best when he can kind of play a zone and read a quarterback's eyes and make a move on the ball that's aggressive as opposed to having to line up 10 yards off man-to-man and try and catch up to a guy that's already at full speed. Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited for him. 
it's him and Thomas Graham that seem to be making almost all the interceptions at practice. And it sounds like Thomas Graham and Ugo Amadi are kind of battling for that two and three spot, basically who's starting opposite of Arian Springs. If I had to guess, I think Graham probably starts wide. But just like we were talking about before, where basic fans right now, college football is the nickel especially in the Pac-12 with how much quarterbacks throw the ball around. Yeah. Um, I, I think uh, Uga Chukwu is going to be Ooh, a check great you out. Check you out with the full pronunciation. Yeah, I did my homework. I, I think he's going to be a very good nickel cornerback because he's the type of guy that is big enough and rangy enough to be able to cover those slot guys who – will go over the middle or they're going to be shifty. I mean, like him versus Charles Nelson, in my opinion, is like a 50-50 split. And in that sense, if you could get a 50-50 split in the nickel position for a cornerback, I think that's a really good sign, uh, especially with all the starting experience that he has. I mean, he's, he's no stranger to lining up against guys and getting massive minutes in games. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, who do you think is the guy to watch other than those three? Uh, Ty Griffin. Interesting. He is allegedly probably the most athletic person on the team. And apparently his skills have really developed over the course of this spring. And I know in the practice reports, he was getting reps with the first team. And he is tall. He is a much bigger defensive back that could be able to that would be able to play against um, some of the some of the other receivers. Against some of like the taller receivers in the in the conference. So like I'm looking him up now. Yeah, he's, he's six I mean, he's foot one ninety one. Yeah, I would I mean, that's the thing, like, that's part of why I, I I think we'll probably end up seeing, um, at some point, Tyree Robinson on the safety side of things. In my opinion, the best ball that he's played is when he was a wide cornerback and able to just press guys at the line because he's so tall, because he's, you know, 6'3". Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the year if right now the, the safeties are projected to be Khalil Oliver and Tyree Robinson, which I think, you know, strangely enough, out of everybody on the team, they're probably the safest to start in their respective positions out of just about anybody. Because you look at the depth at safety and it's it's not high. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised by the end of the year if we see Brady Breeze and Khalil Oliver playing more safety and Tyree Robinson kind of um, operating in a hybrid where he moves back and forth between safety and, and being a wide cornerback as a press guy. Um, you know, if especially if Thomas Graham starts to hit a, a freshman. Yeah, and I think 
like if anybody could actually play like a hybrid role, it would be like Tyree Robinson, but like more as a linebacker because I'm fully out on him being a defensive back. Like I'm completely out. I, I'm a total downer about this, but I feel like his tackling is below average at best. And I feel that he doesn't have the speed to match up with receivers in the conference. He's very easy to get burned over the top. And so I don't feel like he has the speed or the tackling, and that is pretty important at the safety position or defensive back. That's just how I feel. So At the same time, though, you know, like I understand that. Um, I, I totally get that. At the same time, why would the coaches move Brendan Schooler from safety to wide receiver if they weren't relatively comfortable with safeties that they have? You know? Um, yeah, but I'm saying I don't, I don't think Tyree Robinson should be that guy. I'm sure Tyree Robinson is a very nice person. But I don't think, <laughs> but I really don't think, based off what I've seen, that he's a great match at defensive back. Maybe I'm wrong, and maybe he was the victim of the defensive scheme that they were using at the time, but I'm on the fence. I'm kidding. Not I'm not on the fence at all. <laughs> Every time I see him back there, I'm like, oh, no. No. And then he does things like he did against Arizona State, and he he, he just makes interceptions. Yeah, but and there's I, stuff I, like I against you Michigan know? State where he just tries to like blow people away, and the, he completely whiffs, and they just literally walk into the end zone because the safety missed the play. He was not the safety; he was the risk taker. And then I remember against Stanford of him just like chasing after a Stanford receiver who's like wide open five yards in front of him and I'm like what just happened so I'm a big Packer fan and I feel like watching him is like watching Gunter when we had we we're just decimated by injuries whose combine time was like a four six two, trying to cover Julio Jones like it's just not like he may be the best option but it's just not gonna work out like he just fundamentally cannot keep up <laughs> That's how I feel. <laughs> yeah. No, I, 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 um, I would tend to agree. I probably don't feel as strongly about it as you do, um, but I, I think the best ball that I've ever seen Tyree Robinson play is when he's a press corner. Um, we'll we'll see how it all works out. I hope that the new scheme puts him in a position to be successful. Hey. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. And he turns out to be Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. But that's just how I feel right now. Oh, that's not Because that's going to be Troy Dye or Jordan Scott. <laughs> or Jordan Scott. At least Jordan Scott, number one in our hearts. Um, so we should probably just skip the kickers because they're not people, right? They are not people. And based off of the tweet All- video I saw today, they do nothing in practice. They're Although, just kicking it and hanging out and that, occasionally that kicking field goals. so entertaining. And Aiden Schneider has a laudable mustache. 
I mean, if if there's one piece of advice that I could give anyone who's listening right now that's still in college or younger than that is take this time to do whatever you want with your hair and facial hair because once you go in the real world, you don't miss it anymore. Yeah, because it's no longer... If you want to have cornrows, if you want to have a mustache, probably not at the same time, though, Aiden. (laughs) Well, you know, yeah, just do it now. It'll be funny, like, ha-ha, it's so funny. He has a weird mustache. Because once you're in the working world and you do it, it's just weird. Yeah, fair enough. I see people who do that, and I'm just like, "What what are you doing? Like, every day you wake up, and in the mirror you look at this, you're like, yep, this is fine. This looks good. I'm fine with this. I mean, I've done the mustache every now and then. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, but it's not like it's not like some of this dumb stuff I've seen on the internet of my friends on Facebook, which I'm not gonna go into. I'm just disappointed. Way to end on a positive note. <laughs> so I am, uh, I am just super optimistic about so many things right now. All right, here's 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 a here's a way to end this on a on a positive note. Name one position group that you are most excited to see grow during this season. Outside linebacker. For me, it is I'm going to say wide receivers as a whole with a close second of cornerbacks. Oh, I thought we were keeping it to defense. No, wide receivers oh. as a whole. Okay. Wide receivers Wide first, receivers going to be. And then outside linebackers. For and Jordan my second Scott. is the, the secondary. Yeah, Jordan Scott is he's, – he's a position group of his own. <laughs> He's so he, – I don't know what it is about him, but he's just so oh – God. I remember like his first tweet. Well, A, he, he just owns it. His handle is Fat Mac. And he does like backflips off like diving boards after like those three guys went to the hospital for the strength and conditioning. He tweeted out, that wasn't so hard. I've done that all the time. <laughs> he's He's the hero that we deserve. Yeah. Or the other guy, too, that uh, there was, like, a big article that uh, the Oregonian wrote on him, like, Andrew Grief. And it was talking about how this guy goes to a – how this one coach went to one of his youth practices and explained, like, why they kind of need to pick, like, easy majors, uh, but they won't go to the NFL – and but that that's really rare to go to the NFL and Jordan Scott gets up and goes like, wait, so if I can't get to the NFL though, I need to have a good education. And then he like dedicated himself to schoolwork. Like what? He came here to play school. You hear that, Cardell? We're we're, we're student athletes here okay, so at Oregon. How do you feel? I don't know if we talked about this. How do you feel about the, what is that? Get your money. How do you I said feel I'm about not Josh up. Rosen's comment about you can't do school and football? Didn't we talk about this in a, in a former podcast? I think we just talked I feel like about we it did. over the phone. Okay. Well, in summation, yeah. I think he's wrong. I – To an extent. Okay. To an extent. That's interesting because I, I think he's like 100% right. 
Okay. So let me clarify. Here's, here's, let me here's clarify. my reasoning. Okay. It is a. It is having two full time jobs. In many ways, yes. it's more demanding than full time jobs. But these schools yes. offer tutoring to these people. Like they and? they offer tutoring, and they are able to get exceptions because they're scholarship athletes and they are providing a service to the school. It is obviously very difficult, but to say that you can't do both is pushing it too far. Even I'm like strong proponent of student athlete rights, and even I read that and I was like, mm, I don't know about that. But that's, but I don't I don't think that's what that's not what Rosen was saying. Rosen wasn't saying that. You can't do both. He was saying that when you're doing both, when both is a full-time job, there are there are going to be sacrifices, either on the football field end of things or on the academic side of things. And being that they are scholarship athletes and playing football pays for their school, the sacrifice like out of the academic side of things. Yeah. I think that was his main point, which I a hundred percent agree with. I mean, it, so you and I were both student athletes at Oregon. I think that you and I would probably both agree if we weren't student athletes, I'm pretty confident that my GPA would be like point two higher. Mine would be significantly higher. <laughs> Right, but that, I mean that—that's—that's that's all that Rosen was saying, in my opinion, was just that when you're a student athlete, especially in a really high-profile sport like college football, you have to make sacrifices. And being that you're there because of football, for a lot of these kids, football takes precedent. Now, there, of course, there are exceptions to that. You have like. Myron Roll, who used to play at Florida State, who became a Rhodes Scholar. And like, is no longer in the NFL because he's a Rhodes Scholar, and apparently that intimidates NFL coaches. Yeah. I mean, I, obviously there are going to be exceptions to the rule um, where there are people that can do both, but it's 18 to 20-year-old kids, 18 to 22-year-old kids, um, and they know that they're there for football. So if their dream is to play NFL football and football is what's paying for their school, if it comes down to, all right, do I study my playbook or do I study for my test and you can't pick one, there's going to, the sacrifice is going to come out of the academics. Right. Okay. So I looked up his quotes. I'm going to just take out the part about the NFL and SAT and Alabama that cost or so shitstorm on the Paul Feinbaum show. Um, yeah, that was... But he says, trying to do both is like trying to do two full-time jobs, which is correct, but there are also other people who do full-time jobs while they work. And then, no one in their right mind should have a football player schedule and go to school. It's not that some players shouldn't be in school, it's just that university should help them more instead of finding ways to keep them eligible. These people have dedicated tutoring centers. Like, I, I, I get I get the point that it's very difficult to do both, and that realistically they're getting pulled too thin. But it's like that's also true of people who have 
other full-time jobs who also had like the 40 hour a week jobs i think his point though with this with his last sentence about um you know they should do more to help it's not necessarily that they should do more about like tutors and more to help them with their schoolwork i think he's talking more about more to help long term because what you see so often especially with football is you have academic advisors who will put these kids in i'm not going to name a major but sociology sure (laughs) you have academic advisors who will put these kids in a in a, a major just because it's you know a student athlete major where it'll help them be eligible but that's not helping them long term where just like we were talking about Jordan Scott if the per- the percentage of D1 football players that play in the NFL is about 1.3% if that's the case then maybe these academic advisors should be focusing more on their long-term future and putting them in majors that they actually want to be in that might be academically more rigorous, but then also provide like a holistic tutoring way of going about that. Um, I think what, what he's probably talking about is the schools that do it wrong, and there are a lot of them, are ones that will put kids into majors just to keep them eligible. They'll have bare bones tutoring staffs just to try and keep them eligible, but they're not really looking out for their long-term future. That's what I... Uh, that's just the way that I interpret his quote, and maybe I'm wrong about you know his, his intention on that, but that's kind of how I see it. So, And I agree wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly with that. Um... At the same time, it's not realistic to say, okay, we're here on football scholarship, but we should have to do less academically than other students. Like, you don't get that. Yeah. That's... So... Anyway. I get I get track. the larger point he was trying to get at, but that's not what he said. I get what he's trying to get at. Well, I mean, how old is Josh Rosen? He's 20? 19? Something like that? No, he's older than that. He's 20. He's not 19. He's been in, this is his third year in college. Yeah, I mean, it's... Who's going pro next year, so... It's it's hard to have a... It's hard to make a coherent point like that in... A succinct way that the media will pick up and not distort. Um, now, I will say, other than the media initially freaking out about his Alabama comment, I think they did a really good job of providing the full quote and being like, hey, this is the full context to what he's saying, so read this whole thing and don't just read his sentence about Alabama. Yeah. All right, we're we're going down a very long path. We we, we have probably... done long enough. We have far outpaced what I thought we were gonna do today. So, all right, so we'll just close this out now, and we're gonna be back next week talking about Southern Utah.
You can keep going. We're playing this out. I'm sure this is royalty free. There's no licensing we need to do. Okay. Bye, guys. <laughs> Bye. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.